We'd like to say it's the only podcast devoted to amateur baseball, but I can't stretch it that far. And I'm not about marketing something that I'm not positive is true. But here's what I'll tell you. It's the best. This is Amateur Hour, and it's powered by Perfect Game. Danny Wexelman, Darren Sutton, and every two weeks, the commitment to amateur baseball, just committed to getting to know the athletes, their journeys, what, what we learn from it, what they learn from us, and what you learn in listening. That's really what this is all about, and celebrating success. My gosh, Danny, in 2020, in a year in which I think I'll always celebrate the college and high school classes of 2021 going into the draft because of what they went through, we need to celebrate more success. And I'm blown away with what these athletes are accomplishing, men and women, on both diamond sides, baseball and softball. But in baseball, I'm blown away by what these athletes have accomplished in a year when so many people were able to accomplish nothing. I feel like we should be writing everybody thank you notes for being on the podcast and one, <laughs> making us look good, two, sharing their stories, and three, because my face hurts from smiling so much and my cup is full from being able to hear how everyone has overcome this time and everyone has stayed positive, but also has been really honest about how it has been hard and not trying to sugarcoat the fact that this was a really, really tough time for, um, you know, athletes, for parents, for everyone, you know, in the country, in the world. So I feel like we owe them a lot. Our cast has made us look good and, and made this podcast really good so far. So I, I feel the same as you. Let, let's, let's tell them about the interesting show because I find it very intriguing. LSU's Jaden Hill has thrown only 21 and a third college innings or 21 and two thirds college innings. And yet he's focused on as being possibly the number one or number two pick in the draft right there with Vanderbilt's Kumar Rocker, former PG All-American. We're going to go hang out with Jaden in Baton Rouge. If there is one person that you want your son or daughter to look up to, you got to look up Jaden Hill. Look him up. Jaden Hill is the guy. Not only has he figured out how he wants to invest in the people around him, he knows how to invest in himself. And he's going to tell us all about that. And I took a lot of notes, Darren, a lot of notes. Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, if you want to learn about food, yes. <laughs> and we need to do more of that, by the way. This is such a, a, a hopefully global show as far as hometowns and and what people bring or eat around the ballpark, how culturally it can fit in. But I'm going to tell you this right now, a lot of food talk. Um, you're going to be uncomfortable. There's so much food talk with Jaden Hill. And it's not going to go the direction you think. I promise you that. So Tom Allison, who, uh, you know, right out front, I have to be honest, is a friend. We've worked together. Brewers, Diamondbacks, we've both shared time with one another when we've gotten let go from jobs. And um, Tom Allison is such a genuine man and passionate about the game of baseball. He played professionally uh, in the minor leagues, but he is for 25 years been a scout at some level. And sometimes it's been just that, just the scout. It's been a scouting director. It's been a cross checker. It's been a vice president of player personnel, his final job for the Mariners. And in a huge transitional time, the Mariners, Allison and a lot of his colleagues were let go at the end of the season. They knew all summer long it was coming, but they were let go at the end of the season. What a great mind and what a decent human being. Here's what we're going to do with Tom. If you're cool with it, I'd like to do this, is just ask him, hey, I'm a player. You're a scout. What do I need to know? As of right now, you don't have a Tom Allison team-attached title. You're just Tom Allison, just an open book of wisdom. Players, you're going to want to listen to this. So here's what I'm thinking is that if you are an amateur baseball player, listen, amateur in any sport, really, because I feel like what Tom is going to say will be applicable in many different situations. 
basically you've hit the jackpot. Getting a chance to listen to Tom, listen to how the interworkings go. It's, you know, it's kind of how the, the sausage is made, so to speak. Tom's going to lay it out all there for us. He's going to be transparent and not a lot of people would be willing to do that. I feel like we are very lucky to have him on and, and whatever he does in his future, I think, I feel like I'm going to really remember the conversation that we have with him and what he's going to share. And by the way, we're going to call that one of our extended scout size segments. That's a, a segment we have on the show and we'll be joined by our strong cast of leaders for perfect game with our scouts eyes segments where they open up their notebooks, they read, they share. It's just them. It's that kind of reality show like confessional, but it's a scout. And he's talking about uh, what he's most passionate about. Joshua Baez will join us as well. We're going to uh, hang out with him. We're going to go to Boston for this one. He's a Vanderbilt commit. Now this is a PG all American great article, by the way, on perfectgame.org. Go read it about Josh Baez, but you know, born in Boston, Moved to the DR, the Dominican Republic, back with his mom to Boston. Um, when I say buttoned up, I mean it respectfully because he is pretty buttoned up when you talk to him. I'm excited to kind of dive deeper with Josh. Josh is a beast of a human, first of all, when you just look at him. He stands tall, broad shoulders. Like, he's a big kid, and he's intimidating. And then once you see him crack a smile, it's all over for him. The, the shtick is up, and everybody knows that he is such a good guy, but he is laser-focused. And when we saw him earlier this year, we talked about his mom, as you mentioned. He said that she is his biggest cheerleader in baseball and life, so I know we'll get into that. And he worked on his tee game in quarantine. He worked off the tee relentlessly, and it clearly paid off. Yeah, and he did because, it, and this is nothing against those that have much. He doesn't have a ton. He had to use the tee. That's, so he, he took what he had and got better, right? And there are some that maybe had nicer home facilities and stuff like that. Josh very opened about it when talking at the World Wood Bat Association World Championship with Zion Rose, reminding Zion, you're fortunate, the young, talented catcher who's, who's just, I believe, a sophomore or junior, just a sophomore. Um, hey, you, you're fortunate you have a lot of things at home. I, I didn't. I'm in Boston, but I did take advantage of what I had. I, I'm... I'm really excited about, you know, the, the level of humility there with Josh Baez. You're, you're right. He's a beast. I mean, can throw in the mid or high 90s, can hit it a mile, is bigger and taller. And I'm 6'5". He's bigger and taller, obviously much stronger than I, and runs like, you know, a sprinter, runs 6'5", six, <laughs> six, six, he, He's kind of crazy. So it's kind of cool. The other thing that's cool um, that we're going to do is just cherry pick out of some of the, the great content we've had. Um, over the last little while, and Hunter Pence, who's, <laughs> he's just great to work with, man. He's just passionate. He's just, by the way, folks, he's the same guy he was when he played, working with him in content. <laughs> it's crazy. Anyway, um, he brought his old world champion teammate, Tim Hudson. They won a, a world championship with the Giants, but he's now a pitching coach at Auburn. Those two went off, and uh, – we're going to have to pull something out of that. But Hunter's been great. We, I think we might need to carve out a, a role for him uh, if I can afford him. No, he's actually quite fair. <laughs> but car, carve out a role for him in this podcast. Oh, he's a treat. He's, he's a special guy. And I, you know, I haven't had a chance to work with him yet, Darren, but I look forward to it because when someone else who 
you know, has a fire in them about the same things that you do. I feel like it's just, um, it's a really special moment. And to get to do that on the airwaves, to get to share that with him on the airwaves and share these moments with a former teammate, I feel like it could have gone off the rails real quick. Um, but I, I am excited to hear that interview and, and listen to Hunter, you know, just get pumped up. Yeah, he's too disciplined. He wouldn't let it go off the rails. And he's like a coffee <laughs> IV. Are you a coffee drinker, by the way? I just started drinking coffee for the first time in my whole life. I'm a okay. child. I, I just learned. I thought I was too good for it, but I'm not. But So is that just coffee? Or are you drinking coffee like a coffee drink? I'm a lot only of things drinking added to it. strictly vanilla iced lattes with oat milk. I also learned I'm lactose intolerant in this time period, so. I'm learning. It's a slow process. Give me some credit. It's only been about yeah, we two can, months. We can see each other. You folks can, you just are hearing us. You can imagine the look I just gave her. Let's get the show going. <laughs> yeah, every couple of weeks when we drop this, we're challenging Perfect Game Scouts, and it's a welcome challenge to open up their notebooks to read and, and let us know what they've been finding out. And even when it's quiet time, like we're approaching now, it's, it's go back through the summer, go back through the fall and tell us what you saw. We're calling it Scouts Eyes. Let's start with Jared Goodwin, and Jared talks about 2022 grads, specifically left-handed pitchers. Going to touch on some 2022 left-handed pitchers. Uh, it looks like an absolutely loaded class of lefties, which uh, is kind of rare. Um, our our top-rated guy is Brandon Barriera. He's polished. He's athletic. Um, kind of a wiry frame, a, th a three-pitch mix, uh, long track record of winning. Uh, he keeps bumping up in velocity. Um, and, and rightfully so, our, our top-ranked guy, as he just kind of rings the bell every time out. Tristan Smith is ranked right behind him, maybe the most armed talent in the entire class. It's, it's just the quickest shoulder, regardless uh, of a left-hander or a right-hander. Uh, power breaking ball. He's still trying to harness it, uh, be consistent throwing uh, strikes and, and quality strikes, but the swing and miss is real, and, and the upside is, is obvious. Noah Schultz is a is a massive um, six foot eight left-handed pitcher, a really tough low slot, high spin rate slider. He may have the most upside of any pitcher in the class, the, the, the uber projectable prospect, and he throws a ton of strikes and, and nothing is straight. Jackson Ferris uh, might be the most competitive kid uh, that we're going to talk about today. He, he was the big game pitch, pitcher for uh, – uh, the Canes national team that won the uh, WWBA 16U national championship last summer. Uh, an, another polished three-pitch mix, but he has a ton of room to fill out as well. Um, and, and just a really exciting, tough prospect that already is getting huge comps. And then two guys a, a little farther down the list, Drew Nelson. He's a smaller left-handed pitcher, but kind of Logan Allen comps, second rounder uh, in 2020. Uh, really, really polished kid. Um, good changeup. Pitch can pitch backwards. Uh, can can vary tempos, deliveries, everything. Uh, if if the velocity continues to kind of bump up uh, this summer, watch out for him. He can make some waves. And the last one's Griffin Herring, um, who's he's so deceptive. Uh, he's a proven winner. He's been doing it at a, at a high, high level since his freshman year, even against 18-year-olds that year. Um, he, he's got the potential to really be a riser next year. So uh, just to touch on a few lefties and what looks to be a loaded left-handed class in 2022. 
So, Jaden Hill, my gosh, it's very easy to find things to read about you, my friend, but I'm excited to talk to you because everyone's talking about you and who you have become as a pitcher. And, and, and talking about you, all that with, what, 21 college innings, and yet everyone wants to, to talk about who you are as a pitcher. I'm going to pause on the pitching part, and I want you to tell me everything you can tell me about your mom, Nikki, especially during COVID, especially during a time where a nurse is a hero, and understandably so, and also how much of her you wear. In other words, the impact she's had on you as a young man. Um, my mom has been everything to me ever since a, a young kid. She's always been supportive. She's always done going on and done unbelievable things for me to reach to where I'm at today. She always made sure I, I had the resources, always made sure that I had the equipment just that was needed to go play travel ball. And she was always at every game. She would take off work. She would take pay cuts and, and different things to make sure that she was at every single game, no matter where we were playing, who we were playing. And so she's always been a big impact for me. And I just feel like if she can dedicate her life to make sure that me and my little sister have everything that we need, then I can, you know, put in the work to make sure maybe I can change that later on. Yeah, very nice. Aliyah, uh, you mentioned your little sister. Well done. Yeah. I'm glad you did. <laughs> she can ball too, man. That's great we're yeah. talking about you. She's about to steal your headlines. Tell me everything, A, about the young lady who's a senior in high school, uh, and B, about the athlete. I'd love to know about both and how proud you are of her. Man, I'm so proud of her because she, she's just a dominant athlete. She's just raw, you know, raw talent, and, and really does, she doesn't know how good she is. She has no idea how good she can be. And so I'm excited for her to get around a coaching staff that's going to push her to make her the best version of herself. I want to learn a little bit about your mental game, because I feel like, first of all, you're really well-spoken. You're very thoughtful um, and thorough in your answers and what you're giving us. So your mental game, you know, how do you work on that? You have faced adversity, a lot of adversity um, in college so far, and you, that won't stop. Adversity will continue. But um, for me, I just want to know, how have you worked on it and how have you kind of um, crafted that to benefit yourself? Um, so uh, recently this past summer, I this is just something that was recent. I ran, I've been working with a guy, his name is Anthony Renato. He played here and played professional ball as well. So he's been a mentor for me, and he's real big on men the mental aspect of things. And so, but backing up, so I guess just with experience, with me being hurt my freshman year, with the COVID coming up this past year, I've just faced a lot of adversity. And just with time, you know, you sit back and realize that you have to take advantage of each opportunity, and you have to be mentally strong. And so that's something I've really taken pride in. I've, uh, I've also started um, meditating some. I've tried different versions of it. And some are good, some I can't really seem to focus as much, but uh, I've tried versions of meditating, getting more sleep, and really just, I think it's preparation. The preparation that you do before we, I play, it just puts me in a mental place to where I feel like no matter what happens, I know I did everything to be ready. I love that so much. I'm so obsessed. I, I think it's huge when not only someone who's older wants to meditate, but someone who's younger, who, who doesn't know that how important that could be for you and th that space and time. You talked about mind awareness. I want to talk to you about body awareness because that's part of A, being injured and knowing how to deal with it sure. and maturing and paying attention to who you are. So if, if you're aware of and listening to a lot of your conversations and the kinetic chain that goes on in your body and your delivery, uh, talk to me about some of the key things in your delivery. I've enjoyed watching you on video. My father, who's in the Hall of Fame, didn't have a big follow through at all. I mean, he kind of had a recoil situation where once he turned it loose, it all slowed back down. 
right. watched you. You're not falling into that into that first base dugout either. So kind of spikes up the cap. Talk to me about what flows right when you're on the mound mechanically. Um, I, I body awareness is real key to a lot of things, and so it's something I've been working on a lot, just using the correct muscles because I, I actually haven't been using my lower body properly or as much as I needed to, and so it's something I've been big on. And then, honestly, just when I pitch, I just try to be athletic as possible and just let things come natural when I pitch. I try to work in between starts, but when I'm on the mound, I try to just be athletic and let everything that I worked on just go. And so I try not to think about mechanics at all whenever I'm pitching. I just kind of just take my natural ability and go. You have follow-up? I was waiting for you to follow up. Yeah, no, I, 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 I'm <laughs> loving hearing that, but I'm, I'm, I'm rewinding thinking of you – so you're talking about that, and I'm rewinding, thinking of you, the great basketball player, you, the great football player, then you, the baseball player in high school, right, uh, at Ashdown High School. And so how many – I think about those times. Did you throw bullpens? Did you do things like that? This is all the part of the mind and the body that, that we're talking about. A lot of it is just fresh for you, right? Very. I, I didn't have a pitching coach. I didn't throw bullpens. I didn't long toss. I, I was very behind when I got to college. And so I've spent my entire career just still finding out who I am, you know, what makes me go, what makes me stay healthy. And so it's been awesome for me, though, because I love that challenge of figuring out what can make me the best version of myself. And so it's, it's kind of awesome that I'm new to it because I'm still learning baseball IQ, how my body works, how other people's bodies works, how other people succeeded. And so it's just been an awesome journey so far. I feel like what Darren and I are hearing, I mean, we've been talking for like eight minutes only, is how invested you are. You're invested in your family, you're invested in your community, you're invested in yourself. And you mentioned to us that you are meal prepping, you're grocery shopping, you're caring even more about what you're putting in your body for a college kid. We don't often hear that. Um, I didn't think twice about what I was doing. I wasn't an athlete, but you know, if I wanted to order Gumby's pizza, um, you know, I ordered Gumby's pizza and I, I paid the price for it, but give us like, paint us a picture of what grocery shopping looks like, what's in your basket and then why this is so important to you. Um, I've always, my dad always told me your body's like a car, you know, what you put in is what you're going to get out of it. And I kind of threw it over my shoulder. I was like, I'm an athlete. I'm young. I can eat whatever. And so that's what I've been doing. Like my freshman and sophomore years, you know, I go to Canes and, <laughs> and everything. And so, um, Anthony Ronaldo, the guy I was speaking on earlier, he actually introduced to me, you know, uh, ways of eating healthy. And so it's not uh, necessarily like a lot of people get it confused with you have to eat nasty things. You have to eat green, nasty spinach shakes and things like that. It's nothing like that. It's, it's honestly just reading the nutritional facts on the things that you like and finding a better version of it, whether it's getting rid of uh, flour and using a different type of flour, whether it's like cassava root or tiger root nut or um, cassava flour. And there's just different things that are healthier for your body and they break down a different way. And rather than carbs like bread, I try to get higher quality carbs because, you know, we need them as athletes. But it's just little things like that that I've tried to pick up on. I'm going to follow Danny's question, she, and she had asked. I'm going to make sure we get the complete answer. You just got done shopping. What was in your bag today? Okay, so I got, um, I got pork chops and chicken breast. Nice. And hamburger patties. So that's my, my protein. And then I got um, sweet potatoes, mm. rice, and black beans for sides and peppers so that's going to be like a meal prep thing and then like in between i would get um i like spaghetti so i would get um you kind of have to read it and just see what's all in it i try to do anything with no added sugars anything with added sugars 
I want everything, if it's meat, I want it grass fed. That means it's all natural, no uh, antibiotics in it, nothing added to it. And so just basically things like that. That's what I got today. Okay, and just wait, wanted to make cooking, sure. Who's cooking all of this food? He is. You're cooking it, right? <laughs> cooking all of it? Yeah, a little bit. Me and my girlfriend, she helps me. So. Okay. It, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's all right. I try to do what I can do. And one more for me, last one for me is, okay, so you're, you're doing all this. Do your teammates know that this is a part of your life now? Are they trying to come over and, and, and also sit down for family meals with you? And, and do you invite them over? Is this a thing that's going to be happening? Now, some, some people have. Uh, Kay Beloso has really took full action on it. And I actually, so I kept it kind of quiet because some people think it's nerdy. You know, when you say what? it and then, like, some people think it's, you know, like, dude, just eat. I eat whatever. And so I kind of kept it quiet, but the more people that I've talked to about it, the more I've opened up, I'm like, okay, other people do it too. But we have like, I've ran into like, I think four of my teammates who actually were eating fairly healthy and it, it was surprising. me. So we sit there and talk like, what do you do? What do you do? And so it's just been something we share recipes and things like that. So it, it's been pretty fun. I love that. Yeah. It's, it's been, uh, to say it's been an interesting 2020 is uh, the understatement of all time, yeah. right? Um, yeah. But it's also been an interesting 2020 for all of us who are growing in their depth and understanding diversity and understanding our country and understanding the journey of others around them, no right. matter their background, like listening a lot more. I know I've grown and I've listened a lot more. So with that in mind, I want to ask you, it, it can't fall on deaf ears and on empty ears. When I look at PG's draft 300, the brand new draft 300, and I see the number one pitcher and the number two pitcher is African-Americans, very talented African-American pitchers. It, it must ring very strong in your mind. You don't walk around thinking about that all day, but right. it's got to be something that you, you clearly are very aware of and, and have some thoughts on. Right. Uh, I think it's awesome, you know, to, to know where we come from and th that we have the opportunity to, to play baseball. And so I just think it's something that every kid should have an opportunity doing, no matter your color, where you're from, your race, how much money you have, whether you're rich, poor. You know, I think things like that shouldn't matter. It shouldn't be a question. I feel like if you have talent, you should be given the opportunity to play. And so I think it's just a stepping stone showing that anyone can do anything, no matter. I mean, we're African-American and we're making great steps for, you know, our people and where we come from. But I think it just also shows other kids who go through things that maybe I would never understand, just like some people wouldn't understand me being uh, black. And I think it just gives them hope that they can do it as well. Explain your uh, tattoo game, please. What, 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 what oh, do we have? Uh, now, now, this is well, you and I are seeing each other, Danny, too. But this will end up being an audio medium. So you got to do a little verbal description as well. OK. Um, so. I got my first tattoo when I was 18. My dad didn't like it. He, he, he was against it all. Your but, dad, uh, Kenneth. We need to make sure that we mention yeah, Kenneth's Kenneth. name because he'll yeah, knock he, me around if I don't. totally against it. Totally against it. My mom, she was, she was cool. So um, basically, I have my own script here. A lot of people do Bible verses and things like that, but I kind of did my own script. It said, one should not be afraid. There will be struggles. Success lies within you. Be happy being you. And believing yourself would be you um, capitalized. So basically, just self love things. And then um, I have a lion here. It's it's just you know, just like you have to be a dog, like an animal sometimes, like a lion. You have to be you know, I don't know how to really explain it, but it's just like when you're on a mound, it's not a it's not an easy game. You know, no one's gonna sympathize for you. So it's just that reminder to keep that that attitude. And then here um, I have let the water flow. Basically, just let things happen. You know, you take care. You do what you can control, but 
you just let things go. You know, you just let them happen however they happen. And then here I have chosen one because I just feel like I'm chosen to do something great, whether it's with baseball, whether it's helping people in the community or just later on in life. I just feel like I'm chosen to do something productive in the world to help others. And then around my wrist, I, I stole Marcus Stroman. It's like my favorite pitcher. I look up to him. And so I have the never panic, just manage every situation. So never panic, you know, just manage stuff. It's all going to be okay. And then D'Angelo Russell, the now right there, he is, I have now uh, the alarm clock. It's like, don't wait till tomorrow to do it. You know, let, let's take care of it now. And then I have my area code back here where I'm from. And that's basically the rest of shading. I have a... I have a feeling that there are going to be a lot of kids growing up who are going to be getting a tattoo of something that you mm -hmm. coined for yourself and something that you not only, um, you know, decide to manifest, but also give to the rest of the community. I know that you didn't just get like this overnight. You're more per put together overnight. This has been a labor of love for yourself and, and ongoing. So it's just, it's really cool to kind of see your story um, you know, just in, in these last 20 minutes talking with you. Thank you. Let's talk with Jeremy Brown. Jeremy has such a great focus on the future heading into college, and he starts all the way down at that 13 and 14 U age. He really sees it well. November the 11th, the second Wednesday of every November, marks the national signing period in which all the players of the 2021 class have their first opportunity to put pen to paper and sign their national letters of intent. These are guys we've been watching since they were 14 years old, whether it's Ian Mahler, Brady House. We've watched these kids essentially grow up from the youth level all the way till now. And it's fun. And also, this is kind of why we do what we do. We get to, it's rewarding. You get to see the light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. And for college programs, they've put in years worth of work into this as well with recruiting players, getting them to actually commit. And for them, this is still just the first step as the MLB draft, which will happen later next July, is the next stepping stone for them in order to get the players on campus. But this Wednesday is a big first step. It's a rewarding first step, and it's a big time for the players and their families to get to celebrate kind of all their accomplishments, all their hard work up to this point in their careers. So I view this as Tom Allison spends time with him and his wisdom from a quarter century, that's kind of the big speak. That's how us big speakers say, quarter century. 25 years in scouting at different levels, different offices with different windows, different titles. But in the end, Tom, I, I don't think I'm at all um, missing the mark when I say just a core scout for more than 25 years. And, and I think our goal is, uh, in your time of transition, to let the player win, right? Let the player win when we talk with you about all you've learned and how your job has evolved. I think our goal, Tom, as we pull you in, is to, to let players understand what you see when you see them. It's well stated, as always. Uh, Darren, Danny, great to be here. When more opens up and when scouts can be out more and they're leaders, like you were you know, in a leadership position as a VP as you were, um, how much work goes into, even if it's hours, days, months, before you go lay eyes on a player for the very first time? Um, how many hours have most of them been given? And let's consider that player a top 20 round caliber player, right? Who's going to get some sort of an investment. 
I mean, are we talking hours? Are we talking that you have learned so much about them before you even lay eyes on them that it's hard to imagine? In this day and age of video and technology, before you lay eyes on a player, usually how much work have you done? Well, as stated, today's world with all the tech that is available, whether that is through video, that is through analytic breakdowns that are shared, I would say that you, when you go into that type of player that's going to go into those top 20 rounds, it's probably over a year's worth of information that has already been generated by your local area scouts, uh, other scouts that have seen him in a crossover look that might be in a showcase. We have multiple showcases through the, out the land, and this gives the opportunity that you're getting certain and different eyes on them and multitudes and layers of information. I feel really giddy because I have a lot of questions and I feel like so lucky that we get to chat with you, Tom, and, and learn more about this because as you mentioned, you have a lot of resources on these athletes, but in turn, the athletes have a lot of resources as well, right? Not only do they have connections to major league players, college players, they have the internet now, they have social media, um, they're, they're learning things at a rapid pace. From your perspective, how do you feel like since the age of social media and technology has come into play more, how do the players benefit from that in trying to become more discoverable, more, more scouted? Great question. And, and it really has the explosion of the opportunities that you just mentioned through tech, through the internet, has allowed the game to grow. You know, so many times now you run across a player that is at Boston College University and where'd he go to high school? Oh, that was in Southern California. Or this player from the North has ended up uh, at a smaller school in Alabama. Um, my own nephews who grew up here in the Phoenix area end up in Bismarck, North Dakota, that it has allowed these players to access different programs, different people, and ask more questions. And I think that's been the benefit of all of those involved because it continues their growth that all of a sudden they didn't get recruited by the local team and that the university or the junior college, and they still want to keep playing and they still academically know that they can move forward because of the resources you mentioned, they have been able to continue and move on. And, and some have blossomed into pro ball part or pro baseball players, but some have also just blossomed into great teammates and have had an unbelievable experience. How big of a factor does social media play in your assessment of an athlete? Are you, maybe you or someone else, you know, looking through their profiles, seeing, you know, what kind of things they're posting? Are they, are they posting things that kind of make you scratch your head? Like, do you pay attention to those things? Fantastic point. And I would say to all of them that your brand is your social media platform and you have so many great things that you can accomplish on that. But guess what? We're all looking. We are all watching. We're watching what you say. We are watching what you retweet. We are watching what you put on your Instagram, knowing that that's part of the decision-making process. You pick those things up every time. So it is an importance for all of these young athletes to understand it is a powerful tool. And it is one that sometimes I mention. Um, and I believe it was Herm Edwards, the don't send button, um, that that's part of the other one that they have to remember is that 
when you have an emotional state that makes you want to get outside of who you really are, don't get it to Twitter. Don't go on Instagram. Use it for things that matter most. And that is access to great learning opportunities and great uh, experiences that you can share. Just a quick follow-up, Darren. So I've had some conversations with players this year who are um, – they are realizing what is going on in the world even more today. And they want, they don't want to sit back. They want to speak up. We have so many black athletes who want to speak up and say something, but also know that there are eyes on them and they don't want to say something that could jeopardize, you know, where they get drafted or um, what a scout thinks of them. And I, I know, you know, this is kind of, maybe it's far-fetched, maybe it's not, but what, what do you say to a, a high schooler or a, a college player who wants to speak up for themselves and wants to talk about social issues, but maybe is like concerned about what others might think of them and, and they maybe have to play that card because they, they have a lot on the line. Yeah, super question. And one, you know, not only hits home with the professional athletes, but our own children as well. And I would say the same thing that we talk to a lot of our own athletes uh, about, you know, Kyle Lewis, you know, named rookie of the year last night and, and what platform he does have to be who he is. Don't try and be somebody else. Don't try and be uh, an anticipated tweet uh, that makes you look like a better draft person. Be you, because that is who you're going to be, whatever walk of life you, you step into. And I try and tell guys that when you do have a platform and you are looked upon and you do take ownership of a cause, then be you and be real strong with it because it does matter and you can make a very, very huge impact. All right. I'm just going to throw a couple of situations at you, Tom, and just tell me if they matter and how much they matter if I'm a player. The first one is grades. Um, do my grades matter and how do they impact what you think of me as a baseball player? Grades absolutely play a part in it because taking care of your schoolwork is having the ability to balance and doing it in the you know with your school gives you that opportunity to show others around you that hey I've put myself in this position to do these things and many times that's to go to a fantastic university and continue your life education so when there is a failure of that and you have deemed that not a necessary part of your life it's telling us something about who you are and what your character is because your education process will not stop throughout graduation day. How much are you watching me when the ball's not in play? In other words, when I'm not hitting, when I'm not pitching, when I'm in the on-deck circle, when I'm in the dugout, how much are you watching me when I'm not actually in action? Perfect follow-up because yes, grades, testing, they'll talk about your IQ. I bring to the table one of the things that lends itself to what you just asked, and that's their EQ. What's their emotional quotient? How do they act? What are the interactions with the coach? How are they on the bench? Are they the first guy out of the dugout when somebody else does something great? Or are they the pitcher that turns around and looks at a fielder that has made a mistake behind them? That's all part of creating a picture for the athlete and who they are. So eyes are always upon you 
So real quick, and I apologize for all you players that I promised I was only going to ask on your behalf. Um, my daughter, who's a freshman in college, listens to music different than you and I did, right, Tom? I mean, she accesses it like you and I can now through her smartphone. But she listens to the 80s a lot and the 70s, amazingly enough, but through her smartphone. Here's where I'm going with this. When can we stop or can we stop talking about old school and new school scouting? Why does there have to be a divide? Why can't you listen to the 80s on your smartphone as far as scouting goes? I'm kind of worn out with the old school, new school discussion. Just venting there. Thanks for letting me vent. Well, I hope it made you feel better. It is important for all of us to share our feelings. And what is important is that we're all part of growing in our own education every day. And I think there is tons to learn from what has gone on in the past. And it is important to be in tune with those things. And it's also to keep our eyes forward and understand that there might be a new station or a new song that comes up that we like written here in 2012. I get exposed to it all the time from 2012 to 2020, a big difference, but yet you're right. And it is uh, uh, just like as a baseball player, you're going to have to evolve. You're going to have to adapt. I know that I don't do my banking the same way that I did in 1988. I now have the access to do it on my phone. And like you said, it's a whole lot easier, but there is still, I have to keep an eye on those balances. They remain the same, right? They don't go up or down, um, regardless of what mechanism I use to track my balances. So I believe that we are in an era that the game has exploded in so many ways. And, and, and a lot of it has been through the high performance and those high performance um, gadget that we've been able to use has really solidified in many ways what our eyes were telling us. I say it all the time. Wow, this guy's a really fast runner. Well, when did you start using the stopwatch? Wow, this guy can really throw hard. Now we had a radar gun. Now we have some things that can measure exit velocity, can measure spin rates. And I'll tell you, I've been the unfortunate member of a batter's box that has seen a curveball drop from 12 to six And I knew that spin rate was pretty good because I had no chance to really read it. I couldn't measure it by anything other than my eyes. But now we do have instruments uh, that can share with us that. And I think the people, the scouting community, and certainly players and coaches are all evolving to embrace these things and understand that they bring value in representing different numbers. But again, go back to what I just said in the last segment, there is no specific formula that will then equal a big league player. Man, I'm nerding out so hard right now. <laughs> okay, my, you know, this question may be more specific to you or, or what you've heard in general. So going back to your bank analogy a little bit here, what part of scouting do you feel like most people underappreciate? And which part of scouting do you think mm-hmm. is the hardest? Yeah, great question, because I think it goes to when we do look at what players are showing us via the internet, you know, and it's in a controlled area of a cage and look at my exit velocity, look at my launch angle here, look at my velocity, look at my spin rate. Those things are all real cool and they're attainables that that player has just shown us. And that's happened in what? An environment without 5,000 people in the stands, 10,000 people in the stands, without a hitter in the box, without a scoreboard behind us. And that's taken away some of the external 
um, obstacles that then maybe make you go, huh, he can do it when everything's going right. It's the first inning. There is no trouble. The scouts' eyes are one thing that when they're in the ballpark, they can share with you all of those things. Wow. It was the pitch he made when he needed it the most. It was the RBI and getting the runner in from third base when the team needed it the most. And certain things like that do matter about who the player is. And I think that's one thing that gets overlooked a little bit is the scout can see with his eyes and measure because of all the experiences they've had before that this player has the ability to then take that toolbox and skill box that might be seen on a, a spreadsheet and say, yes, they can connect them together and they can develop into this type of major league player. See that Danny scouts eyes. That's what that'd be the name of a good segment, right? Yeah. I told you. Geeking out right now. I told you. Tom, we're connecting the dots right now in real time. That's the name of our segment, Tom. The name of our segment is Scout's Eyes. That's what we called it. Danny, oh, did she make fun of me, put me down, (laughs) mocked me, uh, just just all over me. I want to ask you about a couple of dudes that you were at the helm at different layers, different (laughs) titles, different places, but ultimately you were a scout, no matter the office that you had at that time. Um, So doesn't have to be a long explanation about like the first time you saw the player until you, when you said to yourself, I've got to be a part of picking him. And the first one is Paul Goldschmidt when he was at Texas state. When was the first time you ever saw him and what made him worth picking back then? Uh, what was that back in 2009 in the eighth round? Yeah, Paul Goldschmidt. I kept hearing about Paul from area scout trip couch. And the first time I heard about him, we were trying to get him a job up in Cape Cod and, uh, Coach Pickler, he knows, we've spoken about it many times, but he was like, yeah, I just don't know, you know, too much about this guy, Goldschmidt. We're going to pass on him. So we got him a job, and, and, and Paul went to Alaska. And Paul played in the Alaskan League. And, again, I, I didn't know the name after Tripp had brought it up, but then I looked, and, wow, okay, pretty good success. And Trip Couch said, wait, you're going to come in this fall. We're going to sit down with Paul. You're going to have lunch. You're going to get to meet him because that's how special of a person he is. And I want you to meet the human. And that was the first time that I got to meet Paul was the fall before his draft year. So that's October of 2008. We actually went in, had an opportunity to meet with him and a couple of his teammates. Um, talk. We talked about Alaska and Paul had been to the uh, Talkeetna, which is very close to where I'd grown up. He knew all about the moose dropping festival. And so when somebody can talk to me a little bit about the Moose Dropping Festival, I'm like, wow, pretty special human. All right, so let's watch him. And we watched him go out and play. And I think those are the things that you saw from Paul that Paul, again, I was reminded he was the shortstop when Drabeck would pitch at the Woodlands High School. He was a bigger guy, but yet very quick twitch within his own body. So the first time I saw Paul, I knew that one, He just was a pure baseball player. He had a huge emotional intelligence, could handle a conversation, talk about experience outside of the game, and was somebody that I was drawn to, not only as a baseball player, but certainly as the human. I got one more, Danny, and this one is is personal to my heart. And a lot of our young listeners, crazy as it sounds, might not even remember this guy. Crazy as it sounds. That That ages Tom and I a lot. But... 
Prince Fielder, obviously, as a high school player, was a unique pick. I was a 30-something-year-old major league announcer. Uh, the Brewers were really bad back then for and getting you a lot of opportunities to pick high. Um, but Prince Fielder was picked uh, right around, uh, what, 02, 03, first round. And uh, I'd love to know what he looked like as a high schooler. When you saw him hit, when you saw him, you know, a PG alum too, but when you saw him hit, and you saw him in person, what led you, I believe you were the cross-checker for the Brewers at that time, to pull the trigger on what was a unique pick? I mean, you know, a very unique pick, a round body. Uh, what, what was it about Prince that said, this is a first-rounder? Yeah, great question. Because the first time I did see him live myself was uh, at a perfect game event. And, and you saw him, and we are all – our first impressions, our biases, and how we look at players and what they physically look like. And then you had to step back. And again, it's an old scouting phrase. Um, we'll use now, no scout's eyes, just use your scout's ears. And when Prince swung the bat, you could hear a different sound. And you could see with your eyes how quick the bat was. And so with him, I give so much credit to, again, the people in all of these picks that you get a chance to see, you know, Tom McNamara, who was the area scout, to Jack Zarenzik, who was the director and actually made the selection, to Bobby Heck, who was cross-checking and got to see him many times, was just to keep asking the question because of what he could do. And I think it's a great example of learning is that what we felt he could do was probably the hardest thing in sports to do. And that's hit the ball consistently, hit it with power. And so now let's piece together who the rest of Prince Fielder could be. Oh, by the way, he just ran a seven flat 60. Oh, by the way, he just dunked a basketball. Wait a minute. This talks more about Prince Fielder as the complete ball player. And so I think, the, the lessons learned from Prince were is do not move away from something that you feel this guy can do at the highest level is probably one of the toughest things in all of sports to do. So I give credit so much to who Prince was individually. He had grown up around the game, all of the stories that you've heard, but he kept asking himself, how do I get better in each aspect of my game? Amazing. Awesome. Thank you very much, Tom. Let's ask Vinny Servino to open up his scouting notebook. And you can anticipate going into the 2021 season, he's going to talk a lot about college baseball as he jumps knee-deep into that role. But let's find out where Vinny's going this time. Hey, guys. Uh, Vinny Servino here, National Scouting Coordinator with Perfect Game. Uh, Perfect Game just updated our 2022 class ranking, so I figured I'd talk about some of the risers in that class and who's been really impressive up to this point in their careers. Uh, number one player in the class is Elijah Green. He's obviously had a very great year, uh, 6'2", 6'3", runner. Uh, extremely high tools, high ceiling type of player. We saw him down in uh, Fort Myers with the FDB Giants scout team, and he's obviously a high-level player in the class. The rest of 2 three, four comes from Georgia with uh, Dylan Lescar, highest-ranked pitcher, Andrew Jones, the son of former big leaguer Andrew Jones, and Tamar Johnson. Uh, all three exciting players, re really high ceilings there overall. And when you look at some of the guys who have been rising in this class, uh, Cole Young, shortstop out of Wexford, Pennsylvania, committed to Duke, has been one of the more consistent hitters in this class so far. He just really does it at every stage. Uh, we got to see him down in Fort Myers for the underclass world championship, or I'm sorry, the WBA world championship with the Canes prospects, and uh, he's just an incredibly high-level hitter. Uh, Nick Dugan, 
comes in at 10th overall in the class. We saw him for the first time down at the Underclass World Championship. It was his first PG event. He's from Eureka, California, and he was quite simply very loud. Uh, Running fastball up to 94, 95 miles an hour. Great slider, really advanced repertoire. Just struck us immediately as a high-level pitcher in this class. Another uh, California guy who we got to really bear down on was Malcolm Moore. Uh, left-handed hitting catcher out of California. Uh, he hit two bombs down in the WWBA World Championship. Just a really exciting left-handed stick for a catcher. Um, some other players who impressed, uh, Brock Porter, hard-throwing righty from Milford, Michigan. Uh, Chase Shores had a really good performance down at the World Championship. He's a 6'8 righty from Midland, Texas. Uh, and a couple of position players, too, that impressed. R.J. Austin had a very loud showing at the Underclass All-American Games. And Mike Romero, another left-handed hitting shortstop from Southern California. Just a really exciting player with a very high ceiling. Josh Baez joining Amateur Hour. And Darren and I have gotten to know you really well over the past year, a couple years. And I'm so stoked that you're here. I know that um, it's a really big time in your life, important time in your life, uh, 2021 grad and committed to Vanderbilt. I know that you didn't just pop on the scene. I know that your name has been circulating around, but I know that you've put in the work. And so for those who haven't been able to be behind the scenes with you and watch you come up through Boston, Massachusetts and make your way all the way to the All-American Classic, walk me through what you have been doing to prepare you for the moment that you're going to hear your name called um, or, or just, you know, the moment that you were chosen for the All-American Classic, what kind of work went into becoming Joshua Baez? Yeah, so I kind of been kind of a low-key guy, you know, coming in from Boston, you know, from freshman year all the way to my senior year. You know, I kind of just been taking like baby steps, you know, like little by little and, you know, just training a lot and just trying to just trying to perform in games, you know, just trying to get people to really see that I could really play, you know, and I had to do that like event to event. And like, I didn't really want to, you know, get too, you know, so crazy with myself because I know that I was like ranked, you know, like 300, 500, whatever it was like freshman year. So like, I was just trying to go down like little by little and just trying to perform as best as I can every single summer. And that just came with a lot of preparation with the off season, you know, every single off season from freshman year all the way to junior. And I got the chance to compete this this past summer, and it was an important summer for me. Obviously, I went to PG National, went to a couple of big events that you know I that meant a lot. Obviously, for the PG All American game, and in those events, I just had to just have fun and just ball out. And you know that's exactly what I did. I just had fun, and people just started just like noticing me. They started. Seeing that Boston had talent, that maybe Baez was one of those kids that could potentially be one of those All-American kids. And I was fortunate enough to be selected to the All-American game. And I definitely had fun over there down in Oklahoma. So it was fun. You are very striking. I think if you look at on a diamond at a scouting event, people will notice you and you stand out very much just by your size and your stature and the way that you carry yourself. And when you crack a smile, I mean, you've got a thousand watt smile. And we had um, Tom Allison on, as Darren mentioned, who um, was the VP of scouting for the Mariners. And he talked a lot about what the it factor is. What does it take to become a major leaguer? And behind the scenes, Josh, you're telling us all this work you're putting in and you're going to Vanderbilt, um, you know, it speaks for itself, um, a commitment like that. For you, 
what makes you tick? Why do you love the game? What do you have that will get you to the major leagues and keep you there? I feel like what's going to get me to the major leagues is my, my work ethic. You know, if I feel like I can accomplish something, I will put that in my, in my system, in my head, and I would just try to do anything I can to accomplish that. You know, let's say if I want to throw 90, I'm going to do whatever it takes to throw 90. And the same thing goes for the major leagues or same thing is going to go to have a successful career at Vanderbilt. I'm going to put in the work. As you know, as long as it's gonna take me or whatever I have to do, I'm gonna have to do that. And whatever path, if it's a straight line, or if I have to take a little, little, you know, if I have to go around a little bit and to maybe get there, I'll do that. But you know, just just know that I'll get there because of my work ethic and my my grit. You know, that's something I have, and I've always had that. So the one thing I noticed in you, you had a great conversation, me and you and Zion Rose, who's a super sophomore, who you played with uh, for the Ohio Warhawks team in the, in the WWBA. And the one thing I watched in, in who you were and watched how you responded to the young man was you celebrated others' successes, if that makes sense, right? In your space, being competitive is everything. Even as a broadcaster, we compete with one another for jobs and for opportunities. But it clearly was evident that you were thrilled for who he was as a player, not threatened by him. You enjoyed his successes. You knew he was next. He would be you next. So where does that come from? To be celebratory of other successes while you're still busting your butt to make sure you be number one, because that's a great quality, man. To celebrate someone else's successes is a great quality. I know baseball is not an easy sport. So, you know, I respect everybody who puts in the work and who wants to get better. And when I see athletes that put in the work in the classroom and on, on the field and lifting and working out and they do the same things I do and they have the same goal I have, I have a lot of respect for them, you know, because it's not an easy job, you know, and it's not a job. It's kind of something that we're just passionate about and we just play for fun but we all have that goal to play in the major league. So when I see those guys who actually put in the work, like I know what it takes to be a high profile guy. So, and it's, it's not easy. And when I see those guys, like I, I give them a lot of credit because, you know, just as much as I did it, you know, they're, they're doing it just, just like me trying to get to the spot I was. So when I see those young guys, like I really want them to make it to where I made in my PG career or after that. And that's really much it. I just, I just respect them a lot. What do you think one or two things that you really want to scrub away as part of your game and, and, and negate as far as growing your weaknesses? Look, you're not supposed to bring somebody on and ask them about their weaknesses, but I think it's so cool for someone who embraces the fact that we fail all the time in this sport. So what are one, of, one or two things this winter that you're really working on when you say, Sut, Danny, I want to grow a ton in this area. What are they? Yeah, so me as a big guy and a Vanderbilt commit, they obviously pitched to me backwards. So they pitched to me and like any pitch could come in any count. And that's something I had to obviously get used to as I got older and I, as I, I got stronger. You know, people will look at me and they'll come oh oh curveball, you know, 3-2 curveball, and they'll come a lot of off speed. So like I just had to really adjust to that, you know, to hit any pitch on any count. And that's something I just want to be, you know, just want to be – comfortable with and lose to any pitch on any count and uh, another thing would be um just being just having more contact you know just always putting being able to put the ball in play you know that's pretty much it just trying to make the defense work because I feel like it'll be tougher for a, a, 
a ground that you know they, they actually have to feel you know field it and make and throw it across the diamond then then it'll be just me looking at a pitch and striking out so just just putting a defense to work and that's pretty much it so Josh you and I spoke in June at Hoover and we had a great conversation I feel like just in the uh, five months since June, four months, I can't count, whatever it is, I feel like you have already grown a lot as far as just like confidence, but also just being able to um, explain it and talk about yourself. Uh, just, just a thing I'm noticing right now. I don't know if that's something you've worked on, but I am noticing it um, from our conversation. But you and I also talked about uh, your mother and how big of a cheerleader that she's been in baseball in life. So tell us about your mom and what she has done for you and, and why she is so important in your life. So my mom is so important because I've always been with her, obviously. Uh, so my two siblings, they moved out. So it's basically just me and her. So I'm kind of like the baby of the house. And, you know, I like I'm always around her, you know, like every time I'm not training or I'm in school, like I'm spending time with my mom because I barely spend time with my mom. You know, she's always working, you know, like right now she's working. So she'll get home by like 10, 10, 30 at night. And sometimes I'm sleeping when she gets home because I'm tired from my long day. So she's always been there since the beginning. You know, she's always supported me through, you know, when I first started playing baseball up to now, you know, like, and she's not the one that's pushing for me to maybe sign or to go to Vanderbilt. You know, she, she supports whatever I want to do. And she's one of those moms who just, really puts a lot of time and effort into everything I do, into my meals, into my nutrition. And I just really appreciate her a lot. You know, I can call her whenever I want and she'll be there to pick up the phone and have a conversation with me. So she, she, she's the one, she's my number one fan. She's always been. Interesting. And, and, and God bless your, you, both you guys for having one of them. Is it, is it Iris? Is that her name? Yeah. It's Iris Bias. Iris Bias, what a beautiful name, and, and that's amazing. She's fortunate to have you, but vice versa, obviously. And, and, and it sounds like that. In your younger journeys through life, Boston, then to the Dominican Republic, and then back to Boston, what are your recollections about moving pretty dramatically? Look, a lot of young people move, right? But what are your recollections and challenges and positives about having to move a couple of times to basically different countries as a young man? Yeah, so it was really tough, you know. I was born here, but we moved, you know, back to the Dominican Republic when I was a month old and then came back when I was 11 years old. Like, I had already done six grades over there and I was I was already used to the Dominican Republic. Like, I didn't really know much about Boston. Obviously, I was born here, but, you know, I grew up most of my life over there. Like, I would just come for, like, a couple of weeks and come back. So when I came over here in, in sixth grade, I was 11 years old. It was, like, really hard because I didn't know English. I came into a new school, you know, new environment, new city, new country. And I just had to adapt really quickly. And it was really tough, you know. I was, you know, like one of those guys. So I was like five foot two, 150 pounds. Like, like I didn't really have the confidence to like speak up to people, make friends. And that, and that was something that changed over time as I got older and as I got more comfortable and we're talking to people. And playing baseball obviously helped. But like, that was just, you know, like it wasn't like the only reason, you know, like I, I was the one that had to like speak up to people because sometimes like people don't, you know, like they didn't really speak to me. So I had to like be the one to be like, hi, you know, my name is Josh, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, it was tough, you know, but I got used to it and it's been a great story to tell. 
there are a lot of really incredible stories that we get to hear of how, um, you know, different uh, athletes have adapted to playing for a major league team, guys who have come from different countries and, and whatnot. And um, you did it at a younger age. You came to the United States and, and had to adapt, which um, has its own, you know, trials and tribulations. Is there someone who is in the big leagues now that you have looked up, looked up to or, or spent time kind of observing how they take care of business? Um, and, and who is that and why? Uh, somebody in the major leagues, I don't really have somebody in the major leagues, but I have people, you know, like around me, you know, like my friends and some of my family that I know that, you know, that they move, they're basically the same thing. So we, you know, it's basically the same thing, you know, they moved out here, you know, and they didn't know any, any English and they had to like get jobs and they had to do this. And that was a struggle, obviously, but they moved past that and they overcame that. And now they're successful. They, and they have a house, you know, they're, you know they're living a good life so I feel like it was the same thing for me you know at the beginning it was a little it was a little rough you know I didn't really know English blah 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 and now you know I'm at the point where you know people actually know me all, all around the United States and it's pretty cool because like a couple years back it wasn't like that and you know I'm just grateful for that. It's, it's one of those guys and I don't know if this has been his journey but who has impacted you that you look up to your coach Christian Ortiz and if so tell me everything about him because this is a name that's been mentioned from travel ball coach to coaching you in high school for a little while this is a name that is tied to you a lot as a real positive influence explain why yeah so I have two guys it's Christian Ortiz and Johnny Hernandez but I'm gonna start off with Christian Ortiz obviously so he's been the guy you know since I came here he had his own league he he found that in 2014 I came in 2014 but I didn't join his league until like 2016. So two, two years later, I was like 13 years old. And I started playing fall ball with him. And I was just, you know, I was like 13 years old playing on a 19U, on, you know, like fall ball league. And he seen that I could ball a little bit, but he knew that all I needed was somebody to just hold my hand and guide me in the right direction. And, and that's exactly what he did. He just he helped me through nutrition, you know, in the weight room, baseball. He, he mentored me with school. You know, he just always been there, you know, since I was a, since I was in seventh grade. And he's been one of those guys that's just been by my side, you know, ever, ever since. And, you know, I'm really grateful for him. He puts in a lot of hours with me. He's always put them in. You know, he gets nothing in reward. You know, he does it because he cares about me and because he truly wants to help. And Johnny is another guy, you know, Johnny is like one of those guys, you know, I don't really mention, but is one of those guys that I know. And he has, his son actually plays on, he, he's like the third baseman and first baseman for like the Houston University. So he's, he's a, he's a senior now, but he's been one of those similar guys. He, he actually coached me in Little League. He, you know, he just, you know, he's really close to my family. And he just always, you know, comes over, eats with us. He throws me BP. He, you know, he's like one of those guys I can call and, you know, he'll, he'll like, if, if I did something wrong, you know, he'll be like one of those guys. So like, oh, he'll get really mad and then he'll yell at me for, for hours. But, you know, he's one of those guys that appreciates me and spends a lot of time with me into my training. And I just really appreciate both of them because they've been, Without them, I don't know where I'll be. You know, I don't know where the Josh Bios would be without them. Oh, that's super cool to hear. 
Um, I want to know something about you, Josh, that no one else knows, something that I can't find on the internet, something about you that has nothing to do with baseball. What do you got for me? Mm, hard question. Something that has nothing to do with baseball. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just started doing this. So, I, you know, it's not something I've been doing for a long time. But so like me and my friends, you know, we go to like the driving range and we go play golf. And you know me, like, I'm going to have a baseball swing and I'm going to miss like a ton of them. But, you know, at least I'm going to get two or three out of the 50 balls I get in the bucket. So I'd be just trying to just launch the ball like 500,000 feet. And <laughs> we, we go out nice. So we actually get to see the ball just flying. You know, they look like a little, like a little ball just flying everywhere. And, you know, like that's just like one of the things I do on like a Saturday night that I would just go to just have fun with my friends and, you know, I miss a ton of balls because I can't keep my head down. It's like so hard to do it. But I get at least two or three that are really good and they're moonshots. So that's something that maybe nobody knows. I post some videos sometimes, but not really. You know, I just keep it low key with it. Great answer. Love so, it. so D, D, where is this interview going in order? Have we already heard from Have we already heard from Jaden Hill in this podcast? Have we already yeah. heard from him? I think we're so, Jaden, Tom, Josh. Yeah, so don't edit my question out. I, I don't want it to look like we're all produced and organized in this. So, Josh, here's my question then. Jaden Hill talked about eating, and he's a big guy like you. Like, there's a lot of Jaden Hill out there at LSU, and he's gotten older, and he needs to eat a lot, though he's getting more and more into clean eating. He's getting older, all that good stuff. Who feeds you? Like, there's a lot of human being there, and, and I've got to know how you get after it and, and, and some of the good meals you have around your house. Well, it's my mom, you know. I told you that she takes care of my all my nutrition. So we actually just go just go to the store and we get everything we're gonna eat for the whole month. So we have nice. like we actually have two fridges. We have two fridges because I eat so much that it didn't fit in one fridge. So we have two fridges for the winter, just, just like just for the winter. And we eat obviously I'm Dominican, so I eat a lot of Spanish food. So rice, beans any type of meat, you know, cooked, you know, because we cook it differently. And I don't know how to explain it, but I can say it in Spanish. I don't know. So go ahead. Know. Say it in Spanish. Yeah, please do. So there's, you know, carne asada, guisada. Um, there's pollo, pollo frito. Um, there's like a lot, you know, meatballs, you know, everything. And I just, I have six meals a day plus two or three of my protein shakes. So that's something that I eat every single day, seven days a week during my winter. So that plus lifting is what gets me to look the way I look. And I just eat a lot of Spanish food and sometimes I eat fast food, but I don't really eat fast food in the winter because, you know, it's not good for my body. I try to keep it healthy and just try to eat home cooked meals. I was going to ask, so what's cool. the fast food vice? What are you going with when you do want to have a cheat day? Mm, Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. You know, yeah, Chick-fil-A, there's actually like one in Boston. So that's like the one I go to. Awesome. There's one in Boston. I love it. There's just one. Yeah, there's just and one. And it's like 25 minutes away. So I go. 72,000 Dunkin' Donuts, but just one <laughs> oh, Chick-fil-A. Oh, yeah, Dunkin' Donuts. That's exactly <laughs> it. coffee. That's exactly what I get in the mornings, you know. <laughs> nice, man. Nice. Awesome. 
Josh, this was great. Darren, are you good? I, I feel wow, like this is outstanding. Yeah. Amazing. Dude, thank you for your time and, and, you know, sharing your life with us. Let's ask Brian Sikowski where it's cold up in Michigan to warm us up with some knowledge. And, and obviously Sikowski with uh, just a ton of wisdom on the junior college ranks. And we'll keep an eye out for that. And for now, let's find out where Sackman wants to go. With most of the 2020 campaign sort of wrapped up, we've done a really good job of already sort of turning our attention to the 2021 season. So I wanted to give a little bit of a JUCO preview, uh, seeing as obviously it's a, a big part of what I do at Perfect Game. But just kind of looking forward to 2021 from a team perspective, College of Southern Nevada and Las Vegas – Probably going to be preseason number one, if not top three, almost assuredly. Really loaded on the mound. They got some veterans back. They got some young guys coming in. The The rotation looks to be a real big strength. Uh, watch out for them as maybe the preseason number one right now. And on the prospect side, it's kind of a two-person race right now at the top for who the best Juco prospect is right now. Hunter Parks from Florence Darlington, the right-handed pitcher, is one of those guys. Uh, a guy that we had high up the list last year as a freshman who is back for his second year at JUCO. He's committed to South Carolina, though every expectation is for him to end up being like a top five rounder in the draft next summer. Um, unbelievable arm speed, you know, into the upper 90s, really good breaking ball, just kind of looks the part. Uh, and the other one is is a freshman, Ricky Tiedemann. Uh, he's a left-handed pitcher. He's from Southern California. Uh, he was committed to San Diego State out of high school last year, was a guy we had roughly in the fourth round on the draft board, opted to go to school and opted to go the JUCO route. He's at Long Beach College right now, uh, and that's a guy who, who might end up being number one. It's a really loose, projectable lefty. He's been 90-93 for the most part this fall. Uh, the breaking ball and changeup are both coming along. He's always had a really good changeup. Uh, so between those two, Hunter Parks of Florence Darlington and Ricky Tiedemann of Long Beach, um, those seem to be the two right now, though with heavy transfers expected at the midterm this year over the Christmas holiday, uh, we might see some more names enter that mix. But right now, watch out for CSN on the team side and Hunter Parks and Ricky Tiedemann on the player side. Pausing for just a second, and it's self-promotion, but it's worth a listen because uh, we love the fact that every single week, MLB Round Trip with Perfect Game on MLB Network Radio, Channel 89, it's the only show going that's devoted to the amateur baseball player and really shining a light on the prep athlete, the elite prep athlete, or those that are going through unique journeys. Like the number one player in Hawaii in the 21 class. Number one, he's a Cal commit, and this is a young man that will describe island baseball and it is different it's incredibly different for hawaiians as they play the game here's a here's a few pieces of the conversation with caleb lomavita this is a talented young man who is at st louis and a really good school there a prep school an all-boys school and uh, eva beach in hawaii is where he is from and caleb spends time with us now caleb that's a long way to go to play baseball and i know you had done it before but what was that trip like? We're not too far removed from you going to Fort Myers. You joined the GBD team. You were, had to be there for quite a few days. What was that journey like? What was the experience overall like? So, yeah, overall, it was, a, it was a long journey. It was a long summer. But I spent most of my summer in California and Arizona, so it wasn't too bad or as bad as coming straight from Hawaii, which is a six-hour difference, time difference. So it was a, it was a long journey from home. 
So what was the high point? And let's start at a couple of events. All right, Caleb, let's start with that event uh, in Fort Myers. Give me your team and or personal high point uh, outside of obviously winning the title, which was epic. But what were some of your high points as a baseball player? Some things that meant a lot to you to accomplish in the event of the WWBA? It was was great overall. I mean, the, the amount of talent that was there and reaching my new potential having people steal on me every single pitch. I mean, everyone just playing their heart out because them knowing that it's probably their last game with their travel ball team, last big tournament of the year. Everybody wants to win it. It was it was just fun overall. I forgot, I forgot how many players just play with so much passion out there in the mainland. Yeah, it was, uh, it was fun to watch you work. It was fun to watch your teamwork. I think what was interesting about that event, Caleb, is not only was it you who had come a long way from Hawaii, but most of the guys in California had been shut down all year long, too, so they had to find creative places to play your teammates. I want to ask you about the event you played for TB SoCal, the Fall National Championship. That was one of the stops you talked about in Arizona. Uh, how did it go for you there? I see a, a nearly 500 on base percentage, but kind of talk to me about the experience of playing with that group, what it was like, some things you accomplished baseball-wise here in Arizona. So I played with TB SoCal for about 90% of the summer. It's, it's such a good group, good good bunch of guys, grinders, not really on the high side of being popular in the baseball world. So their rankings aren't as high, but they show on the field that they should be ranked higher. And that tournament was a big tournament for us. It's We don't really play in perfect game tournaments, so... It was kind of a shot for us to prove that we belong there and that we're just not a rollover team. And those are the best kind of tournaments to play in. I've been in them a long, long time ago when I was a young player. Uh, You got a chance to experience them. This is Caleb Lomavita, a very talented pitcher, catcher, infielder, outfielder, but primarily one of the top catchers in the United States. He's the number one overall player in Hawaii. We're excited to be talking to him. Uh, what has life been like academically for you at St. Louis? And uh, how have you handled things? Are you in person going to school? Is it online? What has this year, your senior year, been like? So the first three months of my senior year has been online schooling. I, the first month, I was still in Florida and Arizona playing baseball tournaments. So I try to make time for school as much as I could. We're having Zoom meetings from 7.20 to 2.30 all day on school. So it's, it's kind of been rough trying to get from class to class and focusing the whole time, but it's not an ideal senior year for me. And I really didn't want this, but I'm going to roll with the punches and hopefully make the best of whatever I get. All right. So let's go with that, Caleb. This is uh, Caleb Lomavita, one of the top catchers in the United States, the number one player in Hawaii. Let's roll with that thought that you're sharing what is the silver lining? What have been some of the positives? You're right. Sitting in your home on a laptop or a PC all day is not a dream scenario. Uh, since things changed in March, what have been the good things for you? Even and, and I mean really at home. I know you've traveled to play baseball, but your workouts or different levels of focus that you've reached, what have been the good parts about what has been a very tough 2020? Um, I feel like the best thing about 2020 is just learning how to adapt the change that's been going around in the world and being flexible to every situation. My workouts have been just running early in the morning, doing push-ups, sit-ups, 
lifting water bottle cases, whatever I could get my hands on. Started punching, hitting the punching bag. Um, there's just been moments where I haven't had really anyone to work out with. So I would have to make a makeshift tee with a PVC pipe, uh, a 25-pound dumb, or not dumbbell, but a 25-pound plate and some sandpaper so I can hit through the ball. And I've been using a taped-up tissue ball and a yoga mat to catch all the all of my swings. So it's all been it's been all about adapting and making the best of the situation. I feel like for me. Another quick pause and a content swipe, if you will, in promoting a couple of great shows devoted to college sports. It's on ESPNU. It's every Tuesday night, and it's like a two-hour block of great stuff. First, at 10 o'clock Eastern on ESPNU on Sirius XM, it's Perfect Game College Baseball and Perfect Game College Baseball with my co-host, Hunter Pence. That goes for an hour. Then hour number two is Perfect Game Softball devoted to amateur and college softball, Amanda Freed, the Olympic gold medalist, the national champion at UCLA, part of that show as well. And again, pulling out a little bit of content from the baseball show, Hunter Pence, in a conversation with his world champion teammate, a chance to talk with Tim Hudson. Remember, they won it all in 2014. It was near the end of Hudson's career, near the end of his career, but they were world champions together. Now Hudson, the pitching coach at Auburn, it was so cool to get these guys back together. Well, Tim, uh, I mean, the list goes on and on for how many questions I have and how many <laughs> stories I have of how amazing it was to, to be on the same team as you, Huddy. Uh, but I want to I start with, um, you always joked about smoking mirrors and throwing the old smoke bombs up there. And uh, I always enjoyed, like, even face, facing you, like how crafty um, you know, you were and how you really pitched. I want to hear your thoughts on like, now that you're coaching and you're coaching in the college ranks, which is such a fun time. I think anyone who's played uh, for a long time realizes the special moments of uh, college baseball is for a career. What, what have you learned as a coach versus a player? Because I know you were basically, you were such a good leader. I would like to hear kind of how that's changed the mindset. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny, the whole smoke and mirrors thing. It was, um, that's what happens when you get old and you lose a little bit of that fastball. You know, you have to you have to try to become a little bit of a magician out there. But you know, the one thing, man, with these guys, uh, just players nowadays in general, man, they're they're so big, they're so strong, they're so good nowadays. Um, you know, their ability is 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 way stronger than it was when I was in the, at the college ranks. You know, thirty some odd years ago. But um, <laughs> you know, I think the one thing that's pretty cool is. Um, you know, because I had to reinvent myself two or three different times throughout my career, and understand, you know, how to how to make those those, those different tools that I that I have just to try to, you know, try to form them into something that played that for whatever season I was in. Uh, you know, early in my career, I was more of a power sinker guy, and then it, it just it gradually changed, came on and, and changed. You know, throughout those 17 years, and you know, I was teammates with you. It was it was smoke and mirrors, pal. It was it was <laughs> trying to throw a try to throw a smoke bomb behind the mound and hope they didn't see it that well. But, um, but you know, it, it's been fun working with these, these young men. Um, they have some, some, you know, unbelievable talent, arm strength that, you know, across the board in college baseball, I think, you know, the arms, and I think it's just in baseball in general, you know, arm strength is, is stronger now than it's ever been. So there's not as much, as much smoke and mirrors going on that, you know, but they don't have to at this point in their career, but it's nice to, 
to be able to show them some things, some different grips, some different ideas of, of, of what to think about whenever you throw in certain pitches and, and um, you know, just the mindset behind it, I think is something that, you know, has is, is been pretty awesome for some of these guys because, you know, for the most part, they, you know, they just, everybody's power, power, power. And, and to, to help them understand you, there, there can be a little bit of finesse along with that power to help you become that much more effective. Danny and folks, I think one of my favorite parts of this show is just our ability. And look, it's nothing new. It's tech. You can go to places, stay in your home and communicate with someone else. But just looking into the eyes of Jaden Hill and Josh Baez and seeing who they are, seeing how they're growing as athletes, seeing how real their passion for the game is, but other causes and other things in their life that make them happy, like attacking clean eating and attacking, you know, minimalistic baseball approaches and getting better like Baez has done. I think one of the cool things about the world in which we're in, right by its challenges, are the fact of how small the world has become and we're lucky to take advantage of it with guys like Hill and Baez. And I hope, I hope, I'll let you talk at some point here. I hope that, uh, that athletes listen and learn. Um, you can, I, I mean, I'm 50 and long past being an athlete, but there's so much you can learn from these guys. Yeah. I feel like we, you can are, talk now, by the way, my turn. Yes. It's yeah, me. Yeah. The microphone is mine. Um, first of all, what a great show. Uh, you know, our second one, I feel like we box these guys in sometimes we box in athletes based on where they're from. Um, what, you know, a little bit about what they tell us and it's our jobs to make sure that they don't get boxed in and to be able to share that Josh Baez didn't have a lot to work with. So, you know, that he's hitting bombs because he worked off a tee in Boston, Massachusetts in quarantine and in the cold. And you know that Jaden Hill likes to invest in himself and is meal prepping as a college student, meal prepping, cooking meals with his girlfriend to make sure that he's investing in himself. I mean, I just feel like we, you know, I'm really proud of what we do, but I, I'm more proud of, of these young men and young women who are willing to share and also willing to just be better, do better. Like, do not let anybody box you in. Yeah, no, and that's so well said. It's, it's interesting. You can read a lot and prepare, um, but you're not always going to find what selfishly, um, what I want to find or what you want to find. And, and I'll be honest, folks, Danny and I want to find out different things. We definitely do. Um, I'm going to do this. This just popped into my head and you have to listen to do this. I'm not going to put it out anywhere. If you've got a story you want to share about an athlete, you know, that's, you know, in this world, in this age group and going through a unique journey, it's, it's D Sutton at perfectgame.org. Just send it to us. Find Danny. Um, Danny, what's your Twitter handle? They can, they can message you. What is it? At Danny Wex. Hit me up. Yes. All right. So, and I'm at life is great. Sut or, or send me an email. Like we'd love to, you know, have you on. We'd love to have you on. We're going to keep doing this show every week, and we're going to keep talking to some of the best athletes in the future of the game and, and those that, you know, can provide wisdom like Tom Allison did. Thank you, Tom. Um, but, uh, yeah, reach out. That, that's wait, all I have, though. Go, hold on. Before we, we go, don't? Okay. what is wrong with um, vanilla ice latte? What is wrong with that? Well, that's not a, you're not a coffee drinker. I am, there's coffee in But it. again, in saying that, I sound like just to get off my long guys. I understand what, I understand that, right? I, I understand that. Right. And I'm, I'm not, not saying you have to drink black coffee. I, I'm, I'm progressed enough to know that you, you, you don't have to just drink black coffee that tastes like crap. Okay. I understand that. I'm not that guy that, 
says you have to drink, you know, and I, I almost mentioned a company who I might want to sponsor this. So I'm glad I stopped myself. It's not that you have to drink the coffee that tastes like the coffee that's brewed in the waiting room when you're getting your oil changed, right? It's not like you have to drink that. I didn't mention any companies out there. We'd love to have Jiffy Lube as a sponsor of this podcast <laughs> because everyone needs to get the oil changed. But there are certain times in certain places where you're waiting. That's not coffee, Danny. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. But, but all the things that are going into what you're talking about, you're drinking, coffee somehow is hidden in the back of the room. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Let's just end this. We're done. I'll get we'll, there. We'll, 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 we'll drop another one before Thanksgiving or right around Thanksgiving.